0: You know what I love about the third world church guys? They have a lot of courage. A lot of courage. Uh, And um, yeah, it works (coughs) downwards. The mic's (laughs) upside down. Sorry, I will not clap again.
1: Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Um, Let me just ask, has anyone here ever won a trophy for anything? Let me just see the trophy. Like a trophy. If you want a trophy, an actual trophy, put up your hand high. That's amazing. At least, oh, wow. That's like seventy percent of the church.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember. I
0: remember when. Um, I remember when uh, the kids. Um, Levi, when we moved from our old house to our new house, Levi had like around his door, like a bundle of 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 that, of uh, medals, medals, all kinds of things. And I do know we live in an era where everyone gets a medal for everything, you
1: know, Uh, and uh, except for the 30% of you
0: who've never won a a cup of anything like that. So,
1: yeah. (laughs) Thanks, John.
0: It's taken 30 years for John to actually stand up and help us. <laughs> wow, finally. Anyway, I, I, I've only won in my entire life one cup, and it's this high, a little silver cup. It's a trophy, and I want to tell you that story quickly, because I want to speak today about, um, about something that I feel is, is, is very important for us as, as followers of Jesus. When I was about nine or ten years old, my brother and I wrestled for many years. And um, I'm telling you the story because I can't think of any other story that's that's like authentic. So I'm sorry that it's about me again. But I wrestled for a long time. And um, the one this one particular year, I was I was fairly good. We trained really hard. And um, and um, stop talking before I smack you before I wrestle you to the ground. Anyway, we wrestled, and this one year we got to the state final, my brother and I, the the provincial final, Eastern Transvaal Championships, and and, um, there was one guy, and to this day, I'll never forget his name, his his last name was De Silva, okay, De Silva, De Silva was the guy, he was the the South African champ in his division, anyway, so we went through this tournament, and at this tournament, De Silva was there, so we had really trained really hard for this tournament, okay. And we got and, I, and one fight, one fight, one fight. And my brother, who normally won all the cups, he has cups. He, he has cups and medals like hundreds. I only have one in my whole life to this day one little cup. And um, anyway, we got to the final, and I had gone to, to, to the final. And I was fighting the silver, the silver right? And uh, not fighting, I was wrestling the silver. And um, Dez, you can relate to this because Des is also a wrestler. I was so exhausted. But I was so nervous, because this guy was, uh, I was short and like frumpish, and this guy was tall like Josh, he was like just muscle, like sinew, he's like a piece of meat that you've chewed that you can't chew anymore, It's like tough. No, Josh is not like that, but, but the silver, the silver had, had had wrestling shoes on, right? And in those days, I didn't have wrestling shoes. You were allowed to wrestle without shoes. So we were barefoot. We had a little uh, wrestling outfit on. And I remember this very clearly. My dad stepped onto the mat, okay? The the wrestling mat is like a a square mat, but has a round circle in the middle. And in the two corners are the two two wrestlers. This is amateur wrestling. It's not those jokey-joke wrestlers. This is real sport. And, uh, And my coach was there... And, um, and my, my water guy was there, or whatever, somebody there. And I remember my dad stepping onto the mat, and he went on his knees. <sighs> this is so stupid. Anyway, he took my head in his hands, and he said to me, listen to me. I'll never forget that. Leister. That, to this day, I always say, listen to me when I make a point. And he said to me, you are better than this kid. You're a better wrestler. I've watched you. You are better than him. And in my mind, I thought, it's not not true. And I I struggled, I wrestled with it. I struggled with it. Is
1: that where
0: you got the trophy? And my dad dad said to me, listen to me, there's only one way you're going to beat this kid. It's called a quart Nelson. I don't know what it is in English. What is it? Like when you take the guy around the neck and you throw him down a Nelson. He was tall. Every other coach would coach you, you go for the legs of a tall guy, right? There's no other way you go for You don't go for the neck of a tall guy. You go for the legs. My dad said to me, listen to me. Don't go for his legs. He gave me a bit of a strategy, but these are the words he said. You are better than this guy. And what happened in my, in my psyche, I don't know how else to explain it to you, is for a split second, and I looked into my dad's eyes, I believed him. And I remember De Silva coming out. He was tall. He was an incredible sporty guy. I mean, he was an amazing wrestler. He won championship after championship. He had shoes. I had no shoes. (laughs) And he walked out and he was so cocky and he was like bouncing up and down, shaking his arms and I was shaking. And all I could hear was my dad's voice saying, you are a better wrestler than this guy. And I believed him. Anyway, as we shook hands, he just kind of touched hands, you go down, I jumped as high as I could, and I grabbed him by the neck, and he had no idea, he had no clue, he was already standing far back, which brought his tall hill down, I don't know why I'm telling you this in such elaborate style, but his legs were far back, because he thought I was going for his legs, so as we leaned into each other, I grabbed his neck, and I swung him, and I remember to this day, how loud his knees and his legs hit the mat on the other side, as I pulled him over, and I smashed him down. So I held him down. <laughs> stop! Stop, you bunch of stop, 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 stop. Anyway, anyway, this is this is not uh, this guy is good, right? So in, what began was this thing. This guy was. What began was now I had him by the neck. I had his arm around my waist here, which is what you. As long as you hold this arm, you've got him around the neck. I squeezed as hard as I could. I saw him go red, I saw him go redder and redder, but we started going in circles around the mat, because all he wanted to do was hook my leg with his leg, and Desmond will explain to you afterwards why that works, not now, and then he couldn't get my leg, so I knew as long as I couldn't get my leg, I'm alright, and, and we went around and round and round the circle about six times, and the referee slammed the mat, and I won, and I, wait. and I won this little cup, and I didn't even get the cup at the state championships they just said well done, congratulations and when I got back to my club the coach came out in front of the club and he took out the cup and he said well done, there's your cup that's the only cup and trophy I've ever had in my life the moral of this story is I basically was a very mediocre wrestler very mediocre actually but the words of my father gave me courage okay it's a big deal When David was just a little boy, he started hearing the voice of his father. And faithful over his his father's flock, when a bear would come out out the woods, David would take on the bear. And when the lion came out, he would take on the lion. And in secret, because of the courage of his father, he was being divinely prepared for his destiny. And he really came into his life, into his, his, his power, if you want to call it that, just like Jesus. There was a time when Jesus came out of the wilderness and he, was, and he, and, and he came into, into the power. It was that day when, when the Philistines, who was, who was lording it over God's people, sent out a representative. And um, I don't know, what is that movie where Brad Pitt and there's this monster giant that comes up and Brad Pitt runs with a spear? It was a Troy. Oh my gosh. You need to go and see that movie just for that first 10 minutes. It's ridiculous. And David stood up there, and honestly, he was an amazing guy. We try to make him out as be a superhero, but Goliath was a giant, close to 9 feet. He was a monster of a man. He was so big, he had a special man, and that special man who carried his armor was bigger than David. Yet for some reason, think about this, for some reason, David had the courage... To go out there and address Goliath on the principle that he's uncircumcised. He didn't say, What do you think you're gonna beat me today, man? Have you seen my biceps? They're somewhere here. No, he said, You come to me, I don't know, he ran up to him, the Bible says. He didn't walk sheepishly. He ran up to Goliath and got to Goliath, this monster of a giant he's looking probably at this light fitting here, and he said, you come to me with a lance and a shield? You uncircumcised Philistine, which means you are not in covenant with the God that I am in covenant with. And, and when he started flinging that, that fling, oh, it's just such an amazing story. Goliath says, what am I, a dog that you would send me this little child? And before he could finish the word, The shot hit him in the forehead. And the the theologians didn't believe it killed him. It stunned him. And he fell to his knees, forward actually, onto his knees. So just like a guy who's like, whoa. And as he fell forward, David ran over to Goliath, took his own sword out of his sheath. I don't know what the armor bearer was doing. And chopped his head off. Courage. Say, courage. 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 So I want to read you a piece of scripture here. I've got my glasses. And courage. <laughs> <laughs> this is proof that I have courage. Courage. <laughs> How many of you believe with me today, truly believe, don't say you believe this because you're participating in something or any form of <coughs> form of hype, but believe that God, the God of heaven, wants you and I, you, to live in victory. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Okay, based on your faith and confession of your faith, I'm going to read this. Judges chapter 6, reading from the New Living Translation. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, in the caves and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel and their crops, uh, um, camping in the land and destroying were as far away as Gaza. They left the Israels with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, all the goats, and cattle, and the donkeys. And these enemy hoarders, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts, and they arrived in droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. And then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites and he said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. And I told you, I am the Lord Your God, and you must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you now live. But you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came to and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebieza. Gideon, the son of Joash, was there thrashing wheat in the bottom of a winepress. Wheat. He was thrashing wheat in a winepress. You get it? Not wheat in a wheat press, wheat in a wine press, because he was hiding his grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Like my dad took my face, listen, you are a better wrestler than this guy. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has handed us over to the Midianites. And then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from Midianites. I am sending you again. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least of my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. What an incredible story. Manasseh means cave dwellers. Israel was so overcome by the. By I'm going I'm to take a little bit about what Ziggy spoke about. Israel was so overcome and oppressed by the enemy that they hid. The day we begin to hide from our enemy is the day we become idol worshippers of the same gods of that which oppresses us. I hope you heard that. Manasseh was a cave dwelling people. They lived in the caves, they used to be mountaintop dwellers, and they used to be extreme farmers. And then when the enemy, the Midianites, would come in and possess their lands, they would hide and run and hide from the enemy. And where would they hide? In the caves. And there in the cave, God found Gideon in a cave threshing wheat in a wine press. the thing about wheat if you fresh wheat in those old school days it's not like the modern day combine harvesters where they, they, it just drives that has a monster fan behind it that blows the chaff to the back and it's processed baled and spat out and the wheat fall to the bottom no those guys had to actually take the spit fork throw it up in the air and what would separate the chaff from the wheat the wind do you think the wind blows in the cave it doesn't normally blow in caves no so they were hiding from the enemy. And so there he was threshing the wheat in the winepress, which already is a bit of a, a, a paradox. Because wine presses are made for wine, and wine presses are actually deep holes with walls around them, and you throw the, the, the grapes in there, and then you chomp the grapes, and then the liquid stores up in there and starts fermenting, and the process begins. A wheat, a wheat, a wheat press is an open clay, clay surface in a windy area that you used to throw off. If you do not have the wind when you separate the wheat and the chaff, you will start to eat. You will start to consume as a result of your fear of your enemy, a mixture of wheat and, ch- and chaff. It's very much a picture of the church. We, we, are, we are fundamentally hiding from our enemy at times, and so the wind of the Holy Spirit no longer blows in our lives, and if it does, we even shrink back from that reality, and so we end up with a gospel that is a mixture of the real and the world. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. The wind of the Spirit is everything. It's absolutely everything. It brings definition to our lives. brings freedom to our lives. And it brings us into our inheritance, our promise. The open spaces that God, that David prophesied that God had brought him into. The open spaces. Fear will confine us to become cave dwellers. And I prophesy right now over every one of you in this place, including myself, and your family, and your family's families, that you will come into the inheritance of God, and you will no longer be bound by fear, any fear, even fear of death, so that we can actually have a voice like Esther did, like we heard Siggy say, if I perish, I perish, but this I must do, I must represent the kingdom of heaven well. I love N.T. Wright when he speaks about the kingdom of heaven, because it's no longer our final destination as if we're living on earth here, biting the bullet, going through all kinds of stuff, so that one day, finally, we can just chill out on the beaches of heaven and rest. If we really believe that heaven is, 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 what is the word, descending, is coming to earth, it really means of a mentality, it means a world view that has been shaped and reshaped, by who? By the church. Now we know simultaneously the enemy does that. And many people in their minds are in, 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 in captivity and are, and are sitting in caves. And are, not, and, and are not living in victory, and, and are bound by fear. And I'm not talking circumstantially here, because some circumstances are absolutely extreme. This is the deal with Gideon. After God called Gideon and his utter depravity, eating a mixture of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth, He said to him, and He called him there as though it was. It wasn't, but He called him a mighty man. He called him the hero of God's people. That's what the translation is. He said, Gideon, you are the hero of God's people. Gideon's like, really? Who are you? What the heck is happening here? I'm not. I'm hiding from the enemy. I'm eating grungy, stony, horrible wheat. And God said, go in the strength you have, and I will use you to deliver the people. And again, he says, no, I'm useless. I'm the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh for my people. I'm useless. I'm shocking. I think you have the wrong guy, big man, angel of God. And then he mustered courage rose from within him because of these words. And he said, we're going to take Midian. And 30,000 soldiers arrived. 30,000. The camels of the Midianites was like locusts. They covered the ground. You wouldn't even be able to see anything. And 30,000 sounds very impressive, but the Midianites were thousands and hundreds of thousands. And still, even 30,000 sounded amazing. Do you know that 20,000 of those people went home because they were afraid. God said to Gideon, now tell everybody, if you're afraid to die in this battle today, if you're afraid, if you're shrinking back, go back to your caves and continue to, 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 to thresh wheat without the wind. Remain in your conformity. It's okay. Go. There was no judgment. He just sent him off. And then the second cut came. So now he's left with 10,000 people after 30,000 showed up to beat the Midianites it seemed like a fair chance 10,000 10, left 9,700 of, 9, of those 10,000 left home and were disqualified because they were thirsty and they'd walked for many days so they came to a, sp- a brook you guys know the story right everybody knows the story and nine thousand seven hundred of them lay down on their stomachs and drank from the river with their mouths. And I loved it. Ziggy said this to us. They allowed their desire to overwhelm their purpose. And they were gone. We live in a postmodern world where desire is a huge deal. And people believe that if it's your desire, it must be God. And that's why many live without purpose and destiny. And for some reason cannot find vision. They struggle. And many participate in communities like ours, which is full of life and is growing and is deepening and is preparing and is keeping hope alive and is declaring and prophesying in the face of of what the world bombards us with, that God is faithful and God is good. And no matter what, we will keep threshing and allow the wind of the Spirit to blow away the dross. but yet there are thousands who allow their desires to overwhelm their purpose. Yes, but I want this so bad. I want a relationship so bad that I would compromise to have my desire fulfilled and forget my purpose. After the death of Moses the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan and into the land that I'm giving them. I promise you everything that I promised Moses. Wherever your foot touches, you'll be on the land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness to the south of the Lebanese mountains and to the north from the Euphrates River to the east of the Mediterranean Sea and the west including the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you just like I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. So be strong and courageous. Courage. 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 Lee, courage. Oscar and Sylvia, courage. Courage. Look next to you and say courage to someone. Courage. 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 Courage Courage means this. It means I have a desire that is real. I have a desire that is imminent. I have a desire that cannot be denied. I have a desire. But I will not allow that desire to overwhelm my destiny, Amen. my purpose. My purpose. I will not allow that desire to overcome it. And therefore, our desires find a context. Friends, one of the big things about the kingdom of heaven is that it will be diametrically opposed to the kingdom of the world. If you don't believe me, go and read Matthew chapter 5 and 6. You'll see the Beatitudes. It's an, it's it's an upside-down kingdom that we live in. It's a, it's a Jesus like, like, like Des said this morning that when we react to a militant takeover, Peter ripped out his sword and chopped Malchus's ear off. And Jesus said, what are you doing? If my kingdom was anything like that, I would have called the legion of angels and instantly it would have been a different story. But my kingdom is not like that. I'm not here under duress. I'm here laying down my life with all intentionally because my desire will not overcome my purpose. I have a desire to fit in. I have a desire not to be the one that stands out. I do not want to be the salt anymore. I do not want to be the one that stands for Jesus. The one who does not swear. That does does not sleep around. That does not compromise like that. The world will say, oh, that's the stereotypical picture of the legalistic church. Friends, it's not. It's the picture of David. It's the picture of Samson. Samson, it's the picture of Deborah and and Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther and on and on and on and on and on. And with those 300, oh my gosh, it's such a pattern in scripture. Help me out. You cannot but see it. With a little, the 300, God destroyed the Midianite army. God did what they could never do. They couldn't even muster. They didn't have enough weapons. They didn't have enough men. They couldn't do it. It was, it was literally impossible. But God came into their lives and into their minds, It's incredible to me that when they went to the enemy's camp, the enemy told them what the plan of God was. God, what are we going to do? We're only 300. There's thousands and thousands of them. What are we going to do? And as they listened, they overheard this dream. We saw a big rock rolling into the camp of the Midianites. And the one guy said to the other guy, Oh my goodness, that must be the God of the Israelites. And so with clay vases, with light inside... And trumpets, they went in, smashed it. Can you imagine in a dark night, thousands of people, and suddenly there's flames everywhere? And as there were flames in their pandemonium and the chaos, they sounded the trumpet. Only 300. Okay, it was a bit louder than that, but only 300. If they had 300 trumpeters like Tom, they would have sounded like 30,000, easy. But these these were just little horns. Ram's horns, some of them. Some of them were little, really silver trumpets. And with that sound, and with that explosion of light, God did, which was impossible. Why? Courage. Courage, friends. Courage. Take courage. Courage. Both Gideon and Joshua and many others led people into the new. Into the new. Into places of victory, where death has no sting. Woo! Because we are already living in an eternal reality. That's our job, friends. That's our, that's our call. That's our purpose. To be so different. To love the world. Absolutely love the world. Love people who do not know Jesus. But when they look at us, they're not wanting to conform because of what we say, but they're wanting to conform because we have courage. We are courageous. And with that courage comes a wisdom that's not dependent on circumstance. It's divine. It's divine. That's walking in the Spirit. Spiritual formation is everything in the church Now and will be forever. Being formed by the Spirit. Open up our hearts. We sang it this morning. Open up our hearts, Lord. We open up our hearts, the the song actually says. Yet, still, always there will be among us those who don't open their hearts. They retract back into the caves. But they've got to eat. So, what do they eat? A mixture. A defiled mixture. Because there's no wind. There's nothing fresh. There's no fresh revelation. There's only fear. There's only bondage. There's only anticipation for disaster. David said that I will not fear sudden disaster that comes upon me. Why? He was living in the freedom of the Spirit of God. Until we get there, friends, we will never break into the resurrection life, which is the life God calls us to live to bring in His kingdom. So Josh and Gideon brought people into new, into the victory, into freedom, into the promise. My question is, who is leading this world right now into the promise? It's a big question, but who is it? Who is leading this world right now? I can tell you who it should be. It should be the church. But the postmodern voices through universities and academic and scholars like that are loud and pervasive. But still, God can do it. Through the small minority, okay, and there are mil- thousands of people through the church, and so I'm closing. Turn with me, Galatians 5, quickly. Galatians 5. Okay, this is a bit of a jump, but it's okay. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Galatians 5. <laughs> so. Years ago, when Kath and I lived in the islands, we had a boat and we would go in the afternoons to just explore the islands. <clears throat> and one day we went to the back, I don't know, was it Ginger Island? It was not Ginger Island. It was um, maybe Camden or maybe Tortola somewhere. We found an old, uh, like, a, like a plantation of some sort. There was a ruin. So beautiful. Absolutely amazing. No one gets there. There's no road there. But there were definite mango trees. And there were orange trees. And there were all kinds of trees that were planted here. Maybe... I don't know. They were big, maybe a hundred years ago. I don't know, but they were no longer cultivated. There were still some mangoes, but they were small and a little bit decrepit because they weren't cultivated. And I want to say to you that no tree. I believe that by the Spirit, we help. This is just a metaphor. We help trees grow. We prune them, right? In spring, we take off the dead leaves to to create space for new life to come through. Understand that? We fertilize the soil and we remove obstacles in this tree's life to allow it to grow. And it's interesting to me that there's a reference in Genesis to a garden and it began in a garden and then Song of Solomon speaks again of the cultivation of this garden. And this is a, it speaks of a love relationship. And so there is definitely on us a responsibility to cultivate what God has entrusted to us and what God has planted into our lives. And if you don't know that by now, if you can't figure it out, you, you are an incredible community. Ask a couple of people around you and ask them, what do, you think the tr- what do you think the gifts in my life are that I can cultivate? And how do I cultivate these gifts? Galatians 5 says, the heading of this chapter is to live by the Spirit. So I say to you, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires, desire of the sinful nature. in that that verse alone is 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 a multitude of beautiful wealth. Because we spend a lot of energy not to live by the desires of the sinful nature, when instead, instead of trying to not live by those desires, we live by the Spirit. Because if we live by the Spirit, we're no longer cave dwellers. There's great discernment in our lives, there's clarity, there's life, there's freedom, there's all the things that the Spirit bring us. And then suddenly we have no appetite for the desires that so often overpower our purpose. Did somebody hear that? It's amazing, this Holy Spirit that God's given us. For the sinful nature, which is in every man, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. And they are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so... To the postmodernists around us, among us here, this is so wonderful, and it's so important. I've heard many people say this to me, not a couple. All we want is the real, the true self. Friends, let me tell you, your true self is super super deceitful at times, because it's driven by desire. And if you allow that desire to overcome you because it's real, it's going to be short-lived. It's like a quick flame. It burns out, and you're gone, and you're dead. And you're dead. There was a big flash, and Paul calls it the deceitfulness of sin. So life in the Spirit is our only way. The reason why last weekend was so revolutionary for so many people, and we are still chewing on it, is because it was full of the power, the power of the Spirit of God. Not some spooky, weird thing that we don't know how to define, but the personality of Jesus was among us. To meet every single one of us at where we're at. And bring life and bring hope and bring encouragement. Encouragement. And so they are in conflict with one another. Verse 19 the acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality, these are just desires, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Dissension and factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But the fruit of the Spirit, interesting, singular, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and very importantly, self-control. I read this in anti-rights thing, or heard it somewhere. Is it anti-right or whatever? About the self-control thing? Was it anti-right? Self-control is the only one, the fruits of the, the, the fruits of the, of the Holy Spirit, that cannot be counterfeited by the enemy. Because in our, in our post-modernal way of thinking, there's fake love. There's fake peace. All you need is 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 a thing that squirts out nice smelling stuff, light green walls, and a massage and you have peace. No. But that's what the world believes. Patience. Patience is just internalizing all your emotions. It's false. It ends up with passive aggression. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness. Everybody's so nice. It's not really the fruit of the Spirit. But there's an authentic... But when it comes to self-control, that has to be a fruit of the Spirit. I'm cultivating my very little tree. (laughs) Because I want to grow. And one quick story about my friends, Rasta friends in the island. We'd sit under the sea grape trees and talk about Rastafarianism versus Christianity. And they would... Very, very parallel sometimes. Yahoo, oh, that's so true, man. Man, you got right. Solomon. And, oh, and they would go on about God and how amazing God is. and God, Selassie. I'm like, Selassie was the emperor of Ethiopia. He's not God at all. And my question would be this. If Rastafarian faith said that it was against God's law to smoke marijuana, would you guys be Rastas? They say, yes, we would. But I know they don't have self-control enough. (laughs) Because self-control is a big deal. It is what distinguishes the reality of the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ in us. Because when our desire is so powerful, we want to throw ourselves into our desire to be satisfied. But those 300 that knelt down and looked up while they were scooping water, watching, (laughs) ready did not allow the desire and the thirst to be quenched to overshadow their purpose. Amen. Amen. Take courage. I want to pray for courage. Courage is a big deal. You know, I've been in situations where I felt like I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to do what I know is the right thing to do. That's when you need courage. Just do it. When you don't see the end of the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel, you continue to walk by faith. You need courage. And courage and, courage and hope are so closely interwoven, because faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. But without hope, faith is never unlocked and we are never courageous the courage of the spirit i'm not talking just to prosper yourself in life or anything like that i'm talking bringing the kingdom of heaven into this place and making it a reality courage in the face of fear face of anything courage father we thank you for the cross that right there in the garden of gethsemane you said not my will be done but your will be done and when jesus that means jesus had a will he had a desire to let this cup pass before Him and not go this route. But there in the garden, in submission to your Lordship, He surrendered His will to your purposes and He walked into the fullness of your purpose and He had courage because He saw beyond the cross the joy that was set before Him. It was set by the Spirit of Christ, by the Spirit of God, in Him to walk through this cross. Courageously, He bore the cross of our sin and shame and utter depravity. So that we today can follow in the same way. Lord, help us when we want our own way to be courageous. Help us when we're hiding and our fear so much other has become our identity to be courageous. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy on our lives and your many promises. Father, I pray that we would be a generation of people that walk into the promise of God because Joshua, that we would be a generation of Joshuas who are strong and courageous. When we feel nothing, we have courage. When we see no results, we have courage. Our eyes fixed upon you because of your words over us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.